0: Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. It's over for Governor Eric Greitens. Or is it? The scandal-plagued governor announced his resignation yesterday, an announcement that surprised and stunned. He leaves office at 5 p.m. on Friday, but that doesn't mean that his troubles are over. Our legal roundtable panel is with us today to talk about the Greitens case and other things. Joining me in studio are Bill Freivogel, journalism professor at SIU Carbondale. Mark Smith is associate vice chancellor and dean for career services at Washington University. Mike Wolfe is a former Missouri Supreme Court Chief Justice and former dean of the St. Louis University uh, University School of Law. Gentlemen, thanks for being with us. Not much you, to discuss today, I would guess, uh, would you? Nothing <laughs> happened in the last couple of days. <laughs> well, and, and the news is still breaking. Mike Wolfe, let me start with you. Well, now we know a deal was struck for that resignation, and Kim Gardner re- struck the deal with him. What happened?
1: Well, apparently over the weekend, uh, uh, the uh, Legal team for Greitens reached out to Gardner and asked uh, if uh, the governor resigns, would she still be pursuing the case involving felony computer tampering? And the answer was no. I don't think the deal was any more complicated than that. Um, I don't know if there was a deal conti- conditioned on it. Uh, so, and there were a number of things that were happening. For example, yesterday morning, uh, the judge in Jefferson uh, City. Uh, said that uh, the Greitens uh, people had to respond to subpoenas from the House Investigation Committee relating to donor lists and so forth. The computer tampering was about the donor list from uh, Mission Continues. And so there were a number of things that were happening, uh, but I think it came as a surprise to everybody that it it came to to, to a conclusion so quickly. You have to wonder why, and, and I think people will eventually sort that out one thing that occurred to me is that maybe for all the money that people are talking about being involved and in, maybe some money started running out. I mean, this is a very expensive defense that, was, that they were putting on. Well, he
0: said during his statement yesterday that it has cost millions
1: uh, up to this point. Millions I, with an S on the end. <laughs> I heard him say that. Yeah. And it was, uh, it was a fairly graceless uh, statement, if I could venture that thought, uh, because it kind of like cast himself as a victim.
0: Yeah. Bill, you mentioned something off the air that I thought was interesting and hadn't really thought of, and that is couldn't uh, Kim Gardner, the circuit attorney, may, maybe have extracted some sort of a uh, concession from Greitens with regard to guilt or innocence in this thing?
2: Well, I I would have hoped that she would have, and we're talking about the guilt or innocence in connection with the uh, use of the donor names for the exactly. charity to raise The more uh, serious don- are the two charges, yeah, by I the think, way, right? I think so, yeah. um, I don't know. It was the most, uh, the biggest factor in leading to Greitens' downfall. The sex may have may have trumped that. Actually, with the with the public, but interest. the sex
1: wasn't related to the performance in office.
2: Mm-hmm. No, that's true. Uh, so, but, but um, yeah, I would have hoped that Kim Gardner would get some sort of admission of. Uh, of wrongdoing uh, from the governor, I, I can see. On the one hand, if you're the prosecutor and you're said, "Okay, let's make a deal. The governor will resign." I mean, that's the bottom line. That's a, that's a that's a you know strong bottom line sanction against against the governor. Um, uh, on the other hand, you know, if if the prosecutor in Jackson County also decides not to go ahead on the sex uh, issue. Uh, and there's no federal prosecution for some of these other campaign uh, allegations. Then doesn't uh, doesn't Greitens walk, and can, and and isn't his graceless comment yesterday about be, basically being a victim um, sort of end end up getting borne out? Look, nothing. I I was not convicted of anything. I admitted to no wrongdoing. And so where, you know, that would be unfortunate. Now, I I don't want to, it appears as though there's going to be an agreement that the judge will have to approve in connection with this Gardner deal. Um, I assume the judge, I can't, it's hard to see a judge uh, disagreeing, but I I don't think we know the contents of that agreement. Um, I think Gardner has said, Gardner's spokesperson, spokeswoman has said that some details of the agreement are going to be withheld, uh, or will not be public as part of the, the, the you know, both sides have agree- the defense, the, the governor's, um, uh, lawyers demanded it and she acceded to that. So some parts of the agreement will not be public. I, I assume there will, there will be public portions of the agreement. I mean, maybe there will be some sort of admission in that if there isn't. I, I'm, I mean, <laughs> I'm not very happy where,
0: where it all turns out. Mark anything you want to add to uh to that? No, I think um
3: yeah, I mean it, it's it's very concerning that there's nowhere else kind of to go. We were talking about this before. Unless there's some kind of FBI thing and while there's been a lot of talk about different people talking to the FBI, there's been no no hint at what it is. It's not like the because this is a state office, because I, I was thinking, oh, well, the Federal Election Commission could get in because we've seen people come down. But they're, they're, that's not for this. And the Missouri ethics thing has, is not being prosecuted by the Cole County prosecutor. So we're kind of at a dead I, I, end. I think
0: there is some indication as to why the FBI might be uh, uh, nibbling around the edges of this. There is an allegation that he took money from foreign nationals. It was a well, violation of campaign, right,
1: right, right. campaign law, which is why the FBI is, uh, is there. But if that goes away, then that uh, seems to me he's free. He's very good at writing best-selling books, so maybe that's the future. Yeah. Well, uh, where do we go from here with the Greitens well, thing? I, just I, wait out for the, the for the, the uh, Kansas thing, City it prosecutor. It a,
3: even if it, it, it was foreign nationals, I mean, I, I worry that you know think about the scandals we've had and the recent pass of political figures. It's where they lie to the FBI. It's typically not the underlying. It's the lying and the cover-up. And, you know, Gritens hasn't said anything about anything. That's his thing. He (laughs) he comes out. He tells you what he wants. He doesn't answer any questions. He doesn't. And he goes away. And he hasn't, um, you know, now the House is not going to get him under oath. So we've got no statements. Oh, yeah, we accidentally took some foreign nationals. We'll return it. We'll do. I mean, I don't see anyone going to jail for something like that. some
1: very shrewd lawyers working for him.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Mm-hmm. My- and, and just to go, you know, you mentioned this in passing, but I think the, the cost of the lawyers, I mean, he's got, I mean, you know, he's got the Brian Cave lawyers who are working. He's got the Dowd Bennett lawyers. He's got Rosenblum. He's got uh, the, the impeachment lawyers. And, um, and these well, guys are going for easy 500 bucks an hour, I would imagine. And then they're supporting lawyers behind. So think about it. Somebody spends an eight hour a day, uh, that's, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and multiply it by 20, I mean, you, you're getting up to $100,000 a day, a week, easy a week on legal fees.
1: One thing, though, is that the uh, uh, impeachment lawyers, uh, Mr. Garber and yeah. Mr. Grimes, uh, were being paid by the <laughs> by state. state. But uh, Nicole Galloway, the state auditor, started complaining about that some time ago. Um, and uh, that was raised, I think that's been raised a number of ways. So potentially he could, that could have come back to him. Yeah. The confide app lawsuit by Mark Padroli and his client uh, was also – Brian Caves being paid by the state. He, he raised that in court and has been raising that in court because one of the motions that was made in that case uh, on Creighton's behalf was to de- delay the action in that case, until 30 days after the special session of yeah. the legislature, which means that they're representing him, not the state, state of not Missouri. The
0: state, right. would, would you background that confide app thing? Because I'm not sure everybody understands. Yeah. This is the app that he makes things disappear from your phone. Right?
1: Yes, you can send a text message, and then the text message disappears. <laughs> and so the question is, is that appropriate to use that for state business when the obligation is clear? If you're a state employee, and an employee of the governor's office or the governor himself, that, for example, your emails, uh, and we've had email cases uh, before involving governors. I remember when Ed Martin was chief of staff to Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Governor Blunt, uh, the emails were a big deal. Well, if you can make them go away, uh, is that a violation of the Sunshine Law that requires that you retain records of official business? Uh, Attorney General Hawley looked at it some months ago and he interviewed some people in the, in the governor's office and they said, wow, we didn't really use it for state business. We're just scheduling stuff and whatever. And he said, OK, fine, no problem. <laughs> but then when the first uh, report came out about the sex business, it's what I refer to it as, the April 11th House Investigative Committee report came out. Then he jumped down and said, well, we've got to do something about this confide thing. So, And also Mark Pedroli was making some headway in the lawsuit, yeah, yeah. Uh, the private lawsuit about the uh, confide app uh, being a way of keeping transparency from invading the business of, uh, of the public.
3: And, and also, uh, on the, the attorney's fees issue that you raised, that Galloway raised, but Holly's now jumped on that bandwagon, mm-hmm. to yes. kind of, so, so, yeah, things were kind of closing in on a lot of different right. fronts.
0: We have a question here from one of our reporters, uh, Rachel Lipman, who asks, what are the ethics of exchanging the dropping of charges for stepping down from political office? Do you have any sense about that, uh, Bill Frivo? Well, I I don't think I see any uh, ethical
2: problem with that. I mean, there are there are deals made to end uh, criminal cases all the
1: time. And I think occasionally you'll have a lawyer prosecuted, and one part of the deal might be you sure. give up your law license, yeah,
3: surrender your bar license, make restitution, mm-hmm. other sure. different things that would be for the greater good.
0: Mm-hmm. And we have an email here from Steve who says, I'm interested in some further discussion regarding the possible federal violations by Eric Reitens and his campaign. Will there be further investigation into campaign finance violations, including whether or not his campaign received any money from foreign entities? This is the thing we talked about a yeah. few mm-hmm. moments ago.
2: Well, I would imagine that there will be uh, – a." An investigate some something of an inquiry into that uh, because uh, uh, using f- uh, contributions from foreign nationals is a violation of federal law. But whether or not this ends up in a in a charge against him, I think is is very questionable. The evidence about it comes from an early uh, campaign aid of Greitens, who said there was conversation yep. uh, there was conversation about. A, getting contributions from foreign nationals. But then he, that aide, left the campaign to work for another uh, Republican candidate and uh, didn't know on his own whether or not they actually ever received that money. So, you know, we have a very incomplete, uh, maybe tantalizing, but incomplete story. So it's very possible there won't be a federal charge.
1: The FBI, uh, uh, you might have noticed, uh, hardly ever says. Yeah. Anything about what they're doing, and and, uh, ultimately, if they find something, it's up to the United States Attorney in St. Louis, who would probably need approval from the Justice Department because it is a public corruption case, to bring a charge. So you've got about three layers of things where you really don't know what's going on until nothing happens or something happens.
3: So another way—we were kind of talking about this before the show, too. I mean, there's this guy, Fawn, who comes up with the 100000 plus cash. The publisher, yeah. Yeah. I mean— that just seems um, very strange, unusual, unusual, <laughs> and and also, you know, there are IRS rules. Now, we were would have you said before that um, show that Watkins then reported it um, to the IRS that he te- he testified to that or was that well, he, he
2: made a statement that uh, he became aware that that when you've got payments of greater than $10,000, those are going to be reported by banks as suspicious payments. Yeah. And, and you have and an affirmative then, duty to report it. And you it have an affirmative duty. And so he did, I think at some point, maybe not right away, but after after the fact, make that
3: report. Uh, let
0: me interrupt just so folks know we're talking about Al Watkins, who's yeah, the yeah. attorney for the husband of the woman in the, in the, uh, so, the first case. So
1: yeah.
3: now – Fawn is saying this money was his money. I, I, I personally have doubts about that. I just, um, I mean, I think somebody probably gave it to him, and so did that person report it? Did he report it? And and so, <laughs> my my whole point is, there's a lot of other weird stuff going on in this whole big fact pattern we have, and discovery is pretty broad based, and there may be some. Th- think about the Jeff Smith case that happened a few years ago. That came that that all slid by, and he goes on to become a Missouri senator. Nobody pays attention to it. It gets dropped. And then you got that guy with the balloons and the bomb, and then he turns up. So, um, you know, it may be that he's out of the woods, but I just think there's too much weird stuff going on. The
2: the way I read the Fawn uh, statement that it was his money was, yeah, it was his his money after somebody gave it to him. Exactly, Uh, yeah. yeah. It's amazing to me that he was able to spend three hours – uh, just sticking to that to that story i mean you know let 's make something things very clear i mean fawns involvement speaking of uh, Rachel asked about legal ethics, talk about journalistic ethics yeah. a, a newspaper publisher and broadcaster. Uh, making payments that affect a news story that his organization is writing about—that is highly unethical. Uh, nobody, I don't think, would would question that. And I think they
1: cut, they kicked Scott phone out of the uh, Capitol Press Corps. They did. Uh, he said it uh, was an outrageous.
2: It was outrageous for them to no. do that. I've got. To well, say. he's
1: a publisher. He's William Randolph Hearst. <laughs> Got to take a
0: break now, but if you talk to Jason Rosenbaum about the source of that money, you'll come up with the low-income tax credits and that sort of thing being behind it. Yeah. Anyway, that's uh, that's. But uh, he said
3: it was a, who's didn't Watkins say it was a Republican outstate Republican donor? That's I think what he did. did. I think yeah. he did.
0: Anyway, let, let me okay. take that break. We'll come back and continue the conversation. We're going to bring in Marshall Griffin, who was our State House reporter, and we'll do that after a break. This is St. Louis on the air on St. Louis Public Radio, ninety point seven KWMU. And welcome back. We'll continue our conversation with our legal roundtable panel in just a moment, but we're going to bring in now Marshall Griffin, who is our statehouse reporter in Jefferson City. He's been at, I mentioned yesterday, ground zero for this thing for a good long time. Marshall, uh, thanks for being with us. Thank you. What's the mood down there today?
4: Uh, It's it's actually pretty quiet right now, Um, although there is a little bit of an undercurrent of energy, which... I think is natural because there's about to be a, a change in administration you know regardless of how it's coming about um there there will be a new governor in a few days and uh and a, a governor a new governor who will who has a history of working with uh, the house and senate leaders because not that long ago mike parson was a state senator and um and a fairly influential one he was also a uh spent six years at least six years in the house so he he has navigated the legislature. He knows how it works, and as lieutenant governor, he has presided as uh, president of the senate. So, uh, this you know, the, the, the house speaker and the senate president pro is getting somebody they know very well and who knows how um, the Capitol runs.
0: Have you had a chance to talk to uh, Lieutenant Governor Parson at all?
4: Just briefly yesterday afternoon, he as he came in, he gave just a, he answered about two or three questions and then ducked into the office. And he is staying away from the media at this point. He is, uh, His, his uh, spokesperson, Kelly Jones, told us that uh, he'll be issuing a statement later today as far as, you know, just updating everyone on how the transition is going so far, but that he will not be speaking to the press today, period. Uh, he might hold a press conference tomorrow, uh, but uh, they seem to be leaning towards not holding one, but this says if it's possible they might hold one tomorrow. Uh, no details yet either on uh exactly where um or where or under which circumstances uh parson's swearing in will take place those details are still being worked on
0: any gloating going on amongst uh, the republicans and or democrats
4: uh if you, will, if you check if you check out twitter you'll find a little bit of gloating mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, i i haven't seen senator rob shaff's uh tweet but apparently he bragged a, about being on an enemy's uh, one of Brighton's enemies lists so uh, there's a there's a good bit of that if you uh, check out social media but as far as uh, the House and Senate leaders they're they're actually take actually portraying a rather somber uh, face and a somber mood and say you know this isn't really something to celebrate you know this is you know the the resignation of a governor under you know any circumstances is not something uh, to be taken lightly and everyone's kind of approaching this with a uh, with a uh, a, a calm sense and you know and a mindset that this is not a time to celebrate, but this is a time to to move forward and to keep working that's the um, that's the public face that the House and Senate leaders are putting on this right now
0: I might think there'd be a, something of a sense of relief amongst Republicans at least but get this thing out of the way um, you know as much before the election as possible because it could have very obvious ramifications at election time
4: uh, i and I think um, those ramifications will. Slowly uh, creep back in, and uh, once uh, Parson has uh, taken over as governor, and a lot of it will depend on uh, how uh, circumstances play out with uh, soon-to-be former Governor Greitens, as far as whether or not there will be any, you know, you know, we we of course we know what's uh, that the uh, computer tampering charge is being dropped by the St. Louis prosecutor, but you know the the House Investigative Committee uh, hasn't hasn't wrapped up its work yet. It's not they're not just going to drop everything and go away. So there's, there's still some unanswered questions about what the mission of that committee is right now. We did not get answers to that question this morning uh, during the brief press conference with uh, the House and Senate leaders. Uh, and one thing I want to mention also, they did say this, that uh, the, the, the wrapping up of the special session will include a joint address to the House and Senate by uh, Parson once he is taken over as governor. Uh, we don 't know exactly when that 'll be yet, but it 's believed that it will happen sometime next week.
0: Well, we know what happened the last time a governor spoke before the uh legislature a joint session. That was the I, night the story broke about the uh, about the affair
4: I, I think uh this one will be uh will be less dramatic in that department uh but uh, it, but but it 'll also probably. Uh, be a somber event as well.
0: Yeah, Marshall Griffin, thank you so much. Yeah. Oh, wait, wait. Uh, yeah, Mark I Smith guess. has a question. So
3: you were saying that the committee um, expects to wrap up their work. So is your sense that they're expecting answers to their subpoena?
4: Um, I, they're not. Right now, they're not saying. Um, Todd Richardson is not saying anything yet as far as uh, what we can expect as far as answers. But I, I would think that they wouldn't just drop everything and not finish the work that they've been doing. Now, whether now whether or not that might result in um, in any, any type of new criminal charge um, against against the uh, uh, governor Greitens remains to be seen. But uh, at this point, we we just don't know exactly what's going to happen yet. But I would be surprised if uh, they just drop if the committees that have been working for months on this just suddenly drops everything. I, I don't think that's going to happen.
1: Anyone else here have a question for him? It seems to me that that might be, that if the committee does that, if they issue a report of some kind, it would be sort of a pre rebuttal to the ultimate story yeah. that Brighton's mm-hmm. may want to spin about how he was re- driven from office by a uh, conspiracy of liberals and, uh, and people who were not in favor of his version of reform. Okay, well, Marshall, once again,
0: thank you for being with us and uh, have, a, have a great weekend.
4: Thank you very much.
0: And,
3: and that might be kind of a responsible way for the committee to end, you know, right. as you were saying before the show, Mike, to to create a report um, that the documents are supposed to be provided by Friday, I believe, um, uh, Grayton's still governor, even if he's not, I think he would be required to produce those, and, and you know, the, the committee would have to do something mm-hmm. to to force it, they could probably <laughs> drop it, but... To have a complete record of what happened.
2: Well, I would hope that the committee would do something, but there sure is a powerful political uh, incentive. Not, I mean, to turn the page. I mean, these are. It's been Republicans driving this thing, and mm-hmm. you know they wanted. They're happy to have this over with, and to to try try to get Josh Hawley elected over over Claire but, McCaskill. Uh, but on
3: the other hand, if they look like they're covering up for Greitens, I mean, the campaign is not going to be Hawley versus McCaskill. It's going to be McCaskill versus Greitens. But and you
2: you could you could argue you know what I mean. What even what even jurisdiction do we have anymore? The governor is gone. You know with I and, and 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 look uh Gardner has dropped the the only uh charge that's that's out that was out there on on the fundraising they got I a mean,
3: judge's order though say again they have a judge's order they have
2: a judge's order but but they can withdraw the subpoena they could if they think they're if they think they're um you know that their investigation is over i mean i'm hoping this doesn't happen i'm being very yeah. paranoid what worries me <laughs> is that everybody <laughs> drops everything there's yeah. no federal charge Uh, Maybe, you know, suddenly it comes out that, you know, uh, Fawn's money came from a special interest. And so the whole this whole deal was funded by some special interest, low income housing, uh, historical housing credits or an outstate rich Republican donor. Who knows? And suddenly he is, uh, uh, you know, he hasn't pleaded guilty to anything. Nobody's found any wrongdoing, uh, you know, other than the adultery. And he rehabilitates himself Mark Sanford style.
0: There's another sidebar issue here, and uh, Mike, I'll turn to you for this because I know you've looked into it, and that is the uh, lieutenant governorship. When uh, Lieutenant Governor Parson uh, becomes governor, there is a
1: vacancy. What happens then? Uh, Nothing. (laughs) There is uh, actually no provision in the law, in the Constitution or in the law, for appointment or election of a, a lieutenant governor in succession. We've had 47 lieutenant governors in our history, in our state's history, 11 of them left before their term in office was finished. And uh, we've had a couple of little minor appointments in, in uh, 68. Uh, they appointed a guy for a few days after uh, Eagleton went to the, US, the United States Senate. Uh, they, the uh, governor appointed, Governor Wilson appointed Joe Maxwell after he won the election in 2000. Uh, but nobody really cared because it was a short-term thing. In 68, I think the Senate leader said, well, yeah. we're not going to let him in because exactly, so he said no, because he doesn't belong here because you don't have appointment authority. There was a bill uh in the legislature this year to put in the appointment process. It was part of a bill. The Senate amended the bill and sent it to the House with a provision I think sponsored by uh, Senator Schaff that uh, provided for appointment of a lieutenant governor in the event of a vacancy uh, and the Senate passed that, sent it over to the House. The house said. We we don't go along with that. And they sent it back to the Senate saying, we want to recede uh, from your position, Uh, and the Senate did. They passed the bill without the lieutenant governor's succession. So there you go. And it's not a big deal. I mean, uh, the constitutional – I mean, back in the day uh, uh, when Eagleton was – Lieutenant Governor, uh, it was basically considered a part-time job until Bill Phelps. Bill, full-time Phelps. (laughs) Full-time Phelps. And ever since then, everybody has been saying, yes, I'll serve full-time. Well, then the question came up, I think, this morning. What was was, uh, Lieutenant Governor Parson doing yesterday when this news broke? Farming. I believe he was. <laughs> I think that's part of the duties of the job, as a matter of fact. Eagleton you know,
2: used to say that uh, his main job as lieutenant uh, governor was watching the Missouri flow by.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm that. You know, going, back, going back to full-time Phelps, who was a character in his own right, as soon as the, his job as lieutenant governor was over, he moved to Texas. <laughs> 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 anyway, just a, just a little sign. He left there. his mark, though. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, he did. Well, I want to go back to one other thing. We have other things that we can be talking about, but I wanted to bring up uh, the Catherine Hanaway's name. Yet another governor, uh, attorney, attorney for yeah. former U.S. attorney and one of uh, Greitens' lawyers. She was telling people, going back to the, the FBI thing once again. She was telling people uh, in the legislature, "Don't talk to the FBI." Something she never would have said <laughs> as she US was a attorney. top prosecutor, I of course. Mean, she, yeah, of course. What well, do you, what do you, you
1: make know, of that? That's what lawyers do. I <laughs> yeah. mean, she was representing the United States when she was the United States attorney and. And lately she was representing Greitens and Greitens-affiliated committees and so forth. And she was, in both instances, offering advice that was consonant with her client's wishes. Uh, What's the problem, guys? (laughs) No, (laughs) I mean, that's
3: what lawyers are supposed to do. You're supposed to represent your client. And, And you've got to do the best job you can within the bounds and... I don't have a problem with lawyers being Are you, lawyers. Did
2: she really help her client out? Well, with Well, I'm not sure about that. Know, Tony Messenger that. had a great column on this yes. in the yeah. Post Dispatch, <laughs> and. Uh, I mean, I thought the lawyer last week uh, before the, the, the SICO committee, Special Investigations <laughs> Committee, um, last week the lawyers didn't look too good. I mean, I didn't think Hanway looked very good when she was saying, oh, you know, using the stoners list was just like looking somebody up in the white pages yeah, right. Um, or with the FBI comment. And then there was all this criticism uh, from Jay Barnes of, uh, you know, Dowd having lied to the committee three straight days of – uh, Rosenblum uh, having Asking these disgusting all these inappropriate, inappropriate uh, questions, questions of the hairdresser. Uh, and I don't – you know, the, the, the Million Dollar Dream team, um, I'm not sure they end up looking Well, that Michelle, crazy. M- Michelle Nasser,
3: who was one of my students at the law school, she just got yelled at by Barnes kind of unfairly. So I think she came out okay. She said, look, it, I'm just here to observe – uh, and they they were <laughs> mad at Dowd. So,
0: while we're talking about lawyers, I'm going to digress here for a moment because I'm interested in getting your take on uh, on a couple of attorneys who are making headlines these days. Not in St. Louis, but I'm talking of Michael Avenatti, and I'm talking about Michael Cohen. Uh, Cohen, of course, is in 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 some uh, deep doo doo in Washington. What do you think of this? Let me start, Bill, with Michael Avenetti. I mean, this guy's a St. Louisan. <laughs> St. Louisan. He, and he's, he's He's mastered the uh, universe of uh, social media and getting media attention. He has.
2: And, uh, you know, I wouldn't want to criticize another St. Louisan. But, um, uh, you know, I don't like that kind of lawyer. I, it's just a personal thing. You know, I don't like these publicity-seeking lawyers. But I suppose it, I suppose it does Good things for the client. I mean, I think he's in a little – he could end up being in a little bit of trouble about – he seems to have given – have gotten access to some banking records or information from banking records about sums that were transferred to Michael Cohen's uh, consulting uh, company that he was collecting big uh, payments from like Cutter. Uh, So, you know, on the on the assurance that he had helped them out with the Trump administration. Well, it seems like it seems like Avenatti maybe shouldn't have had access to that information. And so he may have a little bit of a of an issue there. I mean, Cohen, oh, my God. Oh my gosh, um, <laughs> he he he's in real trouble. <laughs> uh, the uh, the special master I think now has, has already turned over three hundred thousand communications. I think I have that the digits right on that. And there will be a million that are turned over. There's only two hundred and fifty that are contested ones that she the special master is going to uh, ha- suggest uh, uh, to the judge Kimball Wood. A, a decision on so I think you know I think Cohen is in in real multiple kinds of legal pr- uh problems
1: it's interesting that he's always referred to as the president's fixer. fixer, yeah, <laughs> not the president's <laughs> lawyer well lawyer but fixer <laughs> well, it reminds me of the of the uh late great Roy Cohen, who's <laughs> one of whose mentees was a, a young donald trump. trump yes uh Cohen was famous for doing that kind of stuff avenatti i think mastered the media circus Mm -hmm. in a way that actually rivals what Trump does. He's fighting Mm -hmm. fire with fire. I mean, he's using the same kinds of tactics. uh, I don't think that – so far I haven't seen him crossing ethical lines that that would be much more drawn if you were representing somebody in a criminal case. But he's got a civil suit uh, and he's using the maximum public pressure. In that suit, I think he's serving, for the most part, I think he's serving his client fairly well. And Mark, I agree with that.
0: If, yeah. if lawyers do what they have to do, then the fixer is just doing what he has to do, right? <laughs> Fix things. Yeah, I'm <laughs> not so sure about that. Yeah. <laughs> Let's take a break. We'll come back and talk about some other things. This is Legal Roundtable Day, and we'll continue the conversation momentarily. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. <laughs> And welcome back to our Legal Roundtable panel discussion with Bill Freyvogel, Mark Smith, and Mike Wolf, attorneys all. Uh, I think we can probably leave the Greitens thing for now, except that I do have an email from David that I'll put out there just because this statement is interesting. I think we've covered it. Regarding the donor list, potential public corruption, et cetera, I would be upset in any agreement with the prosecutor that would not state guilt or innocence. A case like this must be a public lesson to those seeking office and allowing Greitens to hide behind a deal would just be plain wrong. Also, have the guests heard or know anything further of the FBI looking into potential carrot and stick tactics from the Greitens team to lawmakers, possibly a wholly different case of public threats or bribery surrounding impeachment hearings. And I, agree, I agree on the first part. And on the second part, I think we stated everything we know yeah. about the FBI yeah. investigation.
2: Yeah. And
1: I think the, the, the salutary effect, the teaching effect on subsequent uh, people seeking office, I think is very important. Yeah. And uh, it's not here. Okay. Well, we'll
0: await the next moves in all of this. And meantime, let's move on. And M- Mark Smith, I'll start with you because I know uh, that you're a man who likes his sports and likes Occasionally no, maybe uh, to put a wager or two down on something. but oh uh, yeah, I'm being yeah, defamed
3: here. Don, and you yeah. love it. And you love it.
0: Uh, <laughs> the NFL kneeling rule, you know, I, most oh. people are familiar with that now in terms of what the, the NFL has ruled that uh, players uh, must stand during the national anthem or stay in the locker room when it's being played. Yeah. Uh, is, is freedom of expression being violated here?
3: Yeah, probably not because they're – this is a private employer – Telling their employees what to do or not to do, so the 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 i 've heard of interesting kind of argument that because the nFL or many of the NFL teams get fed or get government funding for stadiums <laughs> that um, that they that they kind of become quasi government actors and that this is forced speech that basically I have to go out and stand up and be patriotic. Um, so there may be some kind of First Amendment argument, but I think that's a pretty weak argument.
0: Well, there's also some concern being expressed that if we're going to do that to the players, then the fans should be told not to go to the concession stands uh, during the time that the national anthem is being played and st- and stay in their seats or or stand.
3: There also could be a you know the, you asked about First Amendment, but I mean you've got a, a union there. This is a term and condition of employment that is now being changed. I wonder. You know, could the union, if they wanted to contest it, saying well, you have to negotiate about this and you can't just change terms and conditions of employment?
2: Yeah, I think the union is is, is saying that has yeah. has said that. And uh, you know, the re- you know the reason the First Amendment doesn't apply directly is that it only protects you against the government, and right. the NFL isn't the government. But you know, where you have the president badgering the president, who is the government, badgering the this private actor into taking these uh, these steps, you know does that does that put some does that impl- implicate then the first amendment where there's
3: a, were there maybe some worry that you 're not going to get certain government benefits if you don 't comply
2: right?
0: Mm-hmm. I have a note here from one of the producers saying food sales and entry do stop during the anthem by the way i 've not observed that yeah. <laughs> anyway we 'll move on to something else uh, again going saying with the sports venue for a moment um, the uh, Supreme Court has ruled on betting on sports. Again, Mark, I'll turn to you because yeah, I know yeah, this is your area. Because I'm a gambling exchange, addict, right? right, right, yeah. right. <laughs> what do you make? What do you make? Well, One hundred off.
3: Yeah. Well, you can't. Um, you, you can't start. Um, you know, I can't start an online uh, gambling spot. I mean, what this case said, and it's it's pretty arcane areas of the law, but it's basically the interaction of preemption. With the 10th Amendment, um, now I'm blanking on the word. What's the word that they use? Where commandeering. Commandeering, thank you. Mm-hmm. Where the federal government can't commandeer the state government and tell them what to do. And so, um, but there's still laws that prohibit uh, gambling. States have to pass gambling laws. But there's much more freedom now. For and they will. To do it. And they yeah. will. I mean, Illinois
1: has uh, in their cafes and restaurants and bars, there's little areas <laughs> where you can go do video Mm-hmm. It, it won't take uh, very long for them to have uh, betting on sports events. It's worth billions. It's worth think, billions, yeah. and there's going to be they need the I money. Think, sure. And you're
3: going to be online. Um, I mean, I, you've already seen, uh, you know, what what I do have a little um, interest in is playing poker, and and you see the online poker spots out of New Jersey and Nevada, but they haven't spread to other states yet. I think you'll start seeing that. Mm-hmm. Right now, they're all off uh, outside of the country, mm-hmm. and so. I, I understand there are people who bet on those.
2: You know, Bill Bill Bradley, the uh, former Knicks star and senator and Crystal uh, also Crystal City, Crystal Nate. City. Yes. Yeah. Um, I always uh, loved what he had said when he was arguing against allowing expanded ban- uh, gambling. He was playing in a Knicks game. And it was towards the end of the game, and he hits a three pointer I think they had three pointers when he was there anyway, a long shot and uh, that and, and everybody it is a home game, and everybody started booing and, and he hooks to his fellow <laughs> players and says what's going on here?" I just, you know this yeah, is sure. this is great, and they said, "You just beat the spread or or, or, yeah, right. the spread, or whatever, right. whatever whatever yeah. you do to the
0: spread." <laughs> Well, some some people were suggesting. And I think this is way over the top. That uh, with this now, what are the chances of Pete Rose being uh, elected now to the Hall of Fame? He, of course, was denied it for gambling, betting
1: but, on baseball. But, but there was also a serious question uh, that was raised. I think in the NPR uh, piece uh, the other day is that what about college athletes who aren't yeah. paid? Yeah, you can make a little side money. Yeah, uh, messing with the spread. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think the danger of corruption is, but. Uh, frankly, what the government's doing is – uh, the, what the Supreme Court does is allow state government to get in the business of uh, gaming and making money from it rather than having it privatized through bookies who are in many places illegal. I mean we legalized lotteries years ago starting with New Hampshire and the odds you get from the lottery are something that would make Dutch Schultz and the guys who ran yeah. the numbers uh, – Embarrassed by how bad the odds are on those things, but the states
3: are making money. Well, we've money done the same thing in Missouri with casinos. We've got a limited number, and then if you go to the casinos, the people who are there are, for the most part, people who cannot afford to lose that kind of money, and you're going to lose. I mean, that's the way. It, that's how they pay for
0: it. There's also this element too. As I recall in Missouri, the the uh, intention was with money from the lottery was to put it uh, all for into education. education. And they didn't. They put it in the general fund and then took some of that for education. So it was a promise uh, not, not delivered upon.
1: I was in the, in the governor's office in the 90s when we really made, went out of our way to try to prove that what we were doing was putting that money in education. And frankly, nobody really – very few people believed it because the message had gotten out that, they, that the legislature was going to mess with it. And no matter how hard the legislature tried not to mess with it, people still didn't believe it. So <laughs> – it's, it's, really, it's really interesting because, you know, you get into gaming. You get into, frankly, you get into uh, marijuana sales in Illinois right. probably next uh, uh, for the purpose of raising money that you're not willing to raise with taxation. Right.
0: We have a couple of calls. Let's bring them in. I have other issues I want to get to, but let's bring in Dennis. He's calling from Mexico. I think this is Dennis. He yeah, used to live I in am. Overland. Oh. Go ahead, Dennis, but make it quick, please
5: okay well I just uh, the uh, the nFL thing I know one of your i think you might have said it Don uh if we're gonna make everybody stand uh, that that will be fine let's let's all play this game but uh in uh, I think I saw that in Nazi Germany there was a team uh, that refused to uh, uh you know say heil Hitler and they were banned for a year uh you know sometimes you were right in the middle of 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 a of creeping fascism. It's just really ridiculous. I'm, I'm blown away.
0: Dennis, thank so, you for the call. Good luck. Creeping fascism? Well, that's I, I,
2: I mean, I, to- I totally think that President Trump using the bully pulpit, the bully uh, athletes who are trying to express their opinion uh, is, uh, is a terrible thing for a president but, to do.
1: It's a wonderful distraction for him to distract, yes, to um, get people really riled This is something that it's gets popular. people really riled up about it. And so you can do all sorts of horrible stuff, and nobody's going to notice because the headline of the day we'll all go to it like a moth to flame is about the pe- about the guy's uh, kneeling and you know it's uh, and, it,
3: and and the problem with symbolic speech is it's it's uh, symbolic it's symbolic <laughs> and it's not accurate and so so you know, you've got people saying, "Well, these people who are kneeling, they hate the United States," they're, and that's not what they're yeah. saying at yeah. all. At least that's not how I read it. They're saying, "No, we love the United States, but we don't like these aspects, and we're and we want to change them." And then other people say, "No, oh, no, 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 you you just hate the United States," and and it's it's too bad. Yeah. Um,
1: it's McCarthyism. Mm-hmm.
0: Remember the Juan Carlos uh, protest in 1968 in the Olympics with the Black yeah, Power yeah. salute? Yes. You know, people that criticized them and chastised yeah. them, but they mm-hmm. were making a what and many considered the a price. valid point. They paid yeah. a very one more quick call, then back to some of the issues. Rich and Bevo, go ahead.
5: Hi, Don. Uh, this is another thing about the flag, but I uh, I'd like to see you kick it around for a moment. Uh, it's not as a First Amendment issue, but a violation of the United States Code in which. The Defense Department is in violation of that code by using the national anthem and the armed forces for commercial purposes. So, that's that's my question. Or the
0: question being exactly?
5: Well, um, so my, well, actually, a comment. Right? Just yeah. the notion to kick around that uh, that the armed forces is using this as, as a commerc- using the flag for commercial purposes, which is expressly prohibited. In federal law,
0: how are the armed forces doing that?
5: Are well, th- the, the Defense Department has, is budgeting, advertising, providing troops for the national anthem for the NFL.
0: Okay,
3: gotcha. So they like have a color guard march them in or I something. Guess that's it.
2: Yeah, that that's one of those. You know, I, I see where you're coming from, but that, that's not going anywhere.
3: <laughs>
1: They're trying to recruit people to be in the armed forces, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah, the flyovers and things like that, right, I guess, are you're all right. what he's talking about. Okay, a couple of other things. Uh, let's go to the uh, Supreme Court issues here. Uh, there was a big ruling concerning workplace arbitration. The court sided with businesses is, is blunting class action lawsuits by employees. The thing that caught my eye, Bill, I'll turn to you on this, um, that this could have an effect on the Me Too movement, and I don't quite get that.
2: Well, it, what it does is it says that workers can't band together uh, to file a lawsuit, or, to, or even to get uh, uh, arbitration as a group, if they are have been, are employees of a company that has forced them, to, as part of a condition of employment, to agree to a an arbitration clause that says you'll if you have a problem you'll just uh, you know you'll submit it to arbitration as an individual. Uh, I mean it's. A, I think it's a pretty terrible decision, actually. Uh, You know, it really takes. So, 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 you know, back to your question, though. uh, So, why would the Me Too movement? Well, if if there's a group of, if there's a class of women who have, uh, who who want to band together to file a lawsuit or to try to get some sort of arbitration, they can't. They can't do that. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think. I don't believe this is a constitutional decision. This is a. This is an interpretation of the. Uh, of uh, of a congressional statute, Congress could fix it. They probably won't. It seems I've, I've read a number of stories about this case, and and this goes to uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's dissent that it, it it doesn't seem as though the the conservative majority on the Supreme Court that's always talking about you know following the language of the statute has and, and the um, you know and the and the history has really done that because if you go back and trace the history of this. Uh, It doesn't seem as though Congress really ever intended to do this, um, to to come to this result.
1: In fact, the Arbitration Act, and I think it was about 1921, uh, specifically uh, referred to state law and whether state law would make that unconscionable. And in the uh, Scalia era, they took that twisted around and made that sort of a federal standard and said, well, it applies. Remember the cell phone cases. You've all read the – contract that you sign when you've got (laughs) your cell phone. carefully. It's in there. It's in there so that you can't sue your cell phone company either in court or as a part of a class because you get to arbitrate your uh, $5.43. And and so what? just so
3: non-lawyers understand this, what this means is if you enter into a contract with your employer or with your cell phone provider or with your securities broker, and it says in there that if you have a dispute... Your sole remedy is going to be arbitration. So you can't go to court and sue them anymore. You have to go, and the, there's mm-hmm. going to be it'll say how the arbitrator is going to be selected, and they'll be impartial, but you don't get to get a jury of your mm-hmm. peers anymore. And so um, there was language in the Supreme Court decision just favoring arbitration clauses and their enforceability. So you could imagine then if I have a harassment, uh, I want to bring a sexual harassment claim, that my arbitration clause in my C- contract says, no, I have to take that to arbitration as well. So I don't get to go to a court. I don't get to go to a jury. And um, I mean, that was the, that Anheuser-Busch case we had. Few, um, uh, what was the, the Mary Ann Sade was the lawyer. Oh. Remember, um, oh, anyway, it was yes. the yes. question of whether or not the uh, arbitration, the Katz. yeah, the cat's mm-hmm. case, yeah. whether that was enforceable or not. So this is going to take a lot of things out of jury trials that are more, I think, favorable to plaintiffs and get in, in a different place. Is
0: it a bit of a stretch, though, to cite the Me Too movement? I mean, most, most of the cases— No, I don't in think that, so. Well, most cases are individual cases. Well, I think
2: only to yeah. the extent that I don't think that there are a whole lot of, of those cases that have already been filed. I mean, I saw stories saying there really haven't been Me Too movement cases like this that are, are immediately affected, but— that down the road, that was something that very likely could be affected. This is this is like uh, the first blow. I think the next the next blow, which will be in the next month, will be most likely the Supreme Court um, making it hard for public employee unions to collect union right. dues. Um, for their bargaining, that, this, th- that's a. As, case a
3: that's as a, I mean, I, 25 years ago, I represented employers. I mean, we loved arbitration for our employers. <laughs> we didn't want it to go to a jury, and mm-hmm. and so I, I, you know, I'm sure you got uh, lawyers out there explaining to their clients, let's make this arbitration clause as broad as we can, and to protect you, the employer. I well, think
1: that what you've got is, in, especially with these. Uh, uh, arbitration cases and a number of other things that, that we talk about over time. Uh, probably the most pro corporate Supreme Court. Court in our right. probably yeah. in our history. Uh, yeah. I mean, they uh, this this one is is a it was a fairly significant, but it really flows from the idea that states and state law and state concepts of being unconscionable that these contracts are some because you don't have any bargaining power if you want to go to work at this company and they say here's your Here's right. your contract, you can say, "Well, I don't think I'll work here," and then you go to the next company. Well, I don't think I'll. And if well, everyone's then, got it, you got no choice. That's right. So, <laughs> it, it, so it's meaningless. So it made meaningless the idea of unconscionability, which means that basically you're forcing us all onto the uh, kind of corporate plantation. What
0: does this do, however, to someone uh, who has a complaint, and rather than suing the company, they sue the individually uh, against whom they're complaining?
3: Oh, you want to – so I have – like I'm your employee and you, Don Marsh, individual, sexually harassed me? Yeah. So, yeah, I can still sue you maybe, but Don Marsh, individual employee, doesn't have the deep pockets that Anheuser-Busch has. Mm. That's who I want to go after is Anheuser-Busch. Plus, you may not be defined within the terms of an employer. Um, I might be able to bring some kind of intentional infliction of emotional distress or some battery charge against you. But once again, you don't have the the resources – where I can really collect the big money. And it's and it's Anheuser-Busch that I'm really mad at because they let you stay harassing me all this time.
2: So workers can't band together uh, just like in consumers can't band together. They have to, uh, because they've agreed to these uh, arbitration, uh, and these arbitration clauses to, to just pursue an arbitration one person at a time.
3: If this arbitration keeps going, think about it. I mean, so maybe... Now, you're my physician, and I come to you, Don Mar- Dr. Don Marsh, for surgery, and you say, oh, sure, I'll do the surgery, sign this agreement, and in it, uh, now I have arbitration clause, mm-hmm. and so you commit malpractice, and now I'm, I no longer can go to state court. I have to take you to arbitration, where maybe the arbitrators are other physicians.
0: Okay, everybody up, uh, up on that? Yeah. Good, we're, <laughs> we're going to end it right okay, there. Right. <laughs> I'm just Sorry, a little bit mom. confused with all of that, okay. but, but thank you uh, anyway. Uh, Mike Wolf, thank you so much for being with us. Always great to have you. Mike, thank, thank you. you. Bill Freivogel, same. Mark, thank you for, thank you. Thank you for being, <laughs> being with us. Archived versions of past St. Louis on the Air programs are available for download or podcast at stlpublicradio.org slash air. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening. I'm Don Marsh.